Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know I'm sort of dating myself because apparently young people don't really have to read all that much anymore. But most of you probably have read Tom Sawyer, right? Nope. nope. Nicole's like, nope. You own a copy. In fact, I think there's two or three in my, our house, but that's beside the point. And uh, Mark Twain, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, page one, there was some things that I stretched, says our author, but mainly I told the truth. Aunt Polly, Tom's Aunt Polly, she is. Mary and the widow Douglas, that's all I told about. That's in the book, that's mostly true. There were some stretches, as I'd said before. Dear friends in Christ, dear lovers of God, noble followers of Theophilus, in my first book, O Noble Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up. In other words, if you liked my first book, O Great Theophilus, here's a sequel, and I know you're going to love it. There's no question that Luke's first book was pretty much a bestseller. It was a hit, and the readers wanted to know more. In fact, he had always planned on writing two of them. Luke's first book is about the gospel. It's known by his name, and in it, Luke describes the life of Jesus, and this book ends with Jesus' ascension into heaven. And his first book records only what Jesus began to do. That began is a very small word, but it's a very important word because Jesus' work doesn't finish after he ascends into heaven. This was the beginning of the work, and then in his second book, he continues this work. In a sense, Jesus' Jesus's ministry has never stopped. In book one, tells the story of what Jesus began to do and teach. And book two is the story about how that work continued, what his disciples did with that life and that sacrifice, and how they shared that message with the entire world. Book two is a story about what God's people did with that good news given unto them through the life and the ministry, the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. To understand book two, book one is an absolute prequel. In my first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles of whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive and he suffered many proofs, appearing unto them in 40 days and speaking unto them about the kingdom of God. Luke wants to be sure that we see his book as a two-volume set. It is a completed unit. The Gospel of Luke gives us a recording of the essential facts. Without the Gospel, the book of Acts would make very little sense. We see this parody in Mark Twain as he begins his story about the adventures of Huckleberry Finn. He assumes that all of us have already read the book about Tom Sawyer. So we already know a little bit about Huckleberry Finn, and we know a little bit about who Tom Sawyer is. In fact, we know a great deal about Tom Sawyer. The fact in Finn's book loses a great deal of its luster if you have not read Tom Sawyer because Huckleberry Finn, one of the first things he does in order to cause confusion into the world is he passes himself off as Tom Sawyer in order to rescue the slave Jim. 
You might think early on in the book that this is going to be disastrous because, of course, Tom Sawyer is going to show up at some point in the book. And it's a serious threat, but it's not really disastrous because we all know who Tom Sawyer is. And Tom Sawyer's the kind of kid that doesn't care what kind of mischief he's getting into just so long as he gets to play a part. So when he shows up on screen, right, you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> this is going to get fun. Without the gospel, we wouldn't understand the personalities and acts. Book one tells us about the gospel. It tells us about Jesus' action, especially his death and his resurrection. Jesus' death means the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus' resurrection is the assurance of everlasting life that Jesus had promised and now is made manifest in his own resurrection, in his own down payment on the resurrection of all flesh that we all have a part of. Jesus' teaching explains the truth about the kingdom of God, that by grace, God rules all hearts who believe in him. It's not a geopolitical kingdom, but it's a kingdom of grace given to us through word and sacrament ministry. That we would be fellow heirs of the kingdom of heaven. That we are indeed nobility. Book one's essential for understanding book two. Book two is essential for understanding book one as well. For the, for the meaning of book one would have been forgotten centuries ago if the work of Jesus had being begun, had not then been continued, had it not been acted upon. If Jesus just descended into heaven and the disciples all looked at themselves and went, well, that was fun, and went back to fishing and never told anybody what they'd seen or what this had meant, well, I'm sure God would have found a different way. But the book surely would have had a different ending. The gospel is not a volume of ancient history that can just sit on a shelf that we know that which had happened. We don't just sit back and let somebody read it to us. We haven't finished the gospel after it has been read unto us or after we have, we have read the whole thing for ourselves. This gospel of Jesus Christ continues to work. The first volume is all the things that Jesus began to do. The second volume is the things that were done and put into place because of the sacrifice that Jesus had made. And that second volume, to a very real sense, is still continuing in you and in your story, in your Jerusalem, in your Samaria, and in your Judea. This visible working out the faith throughout the entire world that you are a part of as acts of the apostles. Jesus presented himself to the apostles. He suffered many proofs. I like the way he puts that. He suffered many proofs because he's like, here, put your finger through my hand. It seems like just suffering to me. A little humiliating to tell you the truth. But he appeared unto them for 40 days. For 40 days, Jesus worked with his disciples. He proved that Easter just wasn't one chapter in some ancient history book. That Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, that's their motivation. It was their validation that the work that they were about to put in, the lifelong work that they were about to put in in the ministry of Jesus Christ would continue forever. And this Easter continues to be real. Jesus is alive. And that continues to be our hope. And his ascension continues to be our proof for who we are. For our core identity of being children of the Heavenly Father. With Jesus' work began and continuing in, with, and under that, under us, we've been baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. 
And that baptism is not an isolated event. It's not like a graduation when you graduate high school and you walk away from the high school and you're like, I'm never going to go back there again. This is not what baptism is. Baptism is an ongoing reality. When we come into, into church and we place the name of the triune God upon ourselves in the name of our Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we're reenacting to a certain sense our baptism. We're reclaiming that name through the water and the spirit that was placed upon us. That baptism continues the writing of the story. It is a continuation of what Jesus has done, a, a work that Jesus began all the way back there in the Jordan River with John the Baptist. Book two continues. And it continues with you. For you are actors upon the stage of this gospel going unto the world. For you have a Jerusalem and a Samaria. And this acting out continues to work with our children, with the people that we work with, the people that we go to school with. There are tens of thousands of unchurched souls in our neighborhoods, 50 million in the United States, 4 billion worldwide. It's a tall order. But Jesus Christ is the king of the universe and continues to work. Verse 9, and when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking up, he was lifted up, cloud took him out of their sight. The disciples saw Jesus leave. But was he really going away? Not really. You see, in the ascension, Jesus took his seat at the right hand of God. And that, that, that right hand part of the, 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 the power of God is not so far away as some people might think. In fact, it's not really so much of a place as it is a position. Or Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And he is thereby exercising power. He is, he is praying for us, working things out for our benefits, guiding us and protecting us, and continuing to write the story of his ministry through our lives. And writing our stories in his book. The book of life in which your names have been written as children of the heavenly father heirs the kingdom of god through jesus christ amen